everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. I am Steve Johnson, and it is good to be with you as always. If you would like to share any comments, thoughts, questions, objections, whatever else, you may do so at wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. Again, that's wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus pronounced a woe on the self-righteous, pretending, hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. Now, what is a woe? That's W-O-E. Not like W-H-O-A, like whoa, man, but woe, like W-O-E, that kind of a woe. What is that kind of a woe? Well, that woe is a pronouncement of judgment. So, when Jesus says, woe to the scribes and Pharisees, the hypocrites, he's, that is a pronouncement of judgment by him on them. And why did he pronounce this woe on them? It's because they had tithed, and a tithe is, a tithe is one-tenth. When you hear the word tithe, that means one-tenth. They had tithed a tenth of their mint dill, cumin, rue, every little garden herb to the Lord. And yet Jesus saw this tithing of theirs as a minor matter. We might call it a secondary issue in our vernacular today, in our Christian vernacular. Jesus saw this tithing as a minor matter. Because while these scribes and Pharisees had, had tended to all the minutiae, they somehow managed to neglect and disregard the weightier and more important moral and spiritual issues. They omitted their obedience to the more important things in God's eyes. And those more important provisions of the law according to Jesus, are righteousness, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those are the primary things Jesus tells us we ought to do, but there's something very important here. He says we ought to do those more important things, that the righteous, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the minor matter. In other words, Yes, justice, mercy, righteousness, and faithfulness are more are the more important things, but you should do those do those without neglecting the matter of tithing. In other words, just because those other things are more important doesn't mean that those more important things are to replace the less important things. The principle here is that while tithing is indeed a moral responsibility, not all tithers are righteous. For example, in Jesus' parable of the self-righteous Pharisee and the humble tax collector, and if you want to find this story, you, you can find it in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 through 14. 
Again, that's Luke chapter 18, verses 11 through 14. That's where this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is found. And in Luke 18, 11 through 14, the self-righteous Pharisee takes his stand. He's very ostentatious. He gets up and he takes his stand before God and he begins praying. Notice who, if, you, if you're reading this passage along with me, again, that's Luke 18, 11 through 14. Look at who it says he's praying to. It says, The Pharisee took his stand ostentatiously and began praying to himself in a self-righteous way. Not everybody who prays is praying to God. Some people are praying to themselves. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He he was or excuse me, it's Matthew 6, not Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is everybody's favorite misquoted passage on judging. But when you go to or in misinterpreted passage on judging, but Matthew 6, pardon me. In Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says that when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray publicly, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by people. Jesus said, Assuredly, I tell you, assuredly and most solemnly, I tell you, they have already received their full reward. In other words, the, the reward that they get from you know, people going, Wow, look how special and holy and righteous they are. Did you hear that prayer? Jesus said that's their reward. If they think they're going to be rewarded in eternity for that show of prayer that they put forth, they're sadly mistaken. And so he says here, that's why, and this goes back to the, to the Luke 18 passage, this Pharisee was praying to himself in a self-righteous way. So, yeah, he might have been, he might have said he was talking to God. He might be, quote-unquote, praying to the Lord. But in reality, Jesus knew his heart, and he says in this parable, this, this Pharisee was praying self-righteously praying to himself. Not everybody who prays is praying to God. And among the things that this self-righteous Pharisee touted about himself in Luke 18, in this parable, Jesus said that he touted about himself that he gave tithes of all that he got. But did this man's tithing Make him righteous. No. Because Jesus said, the humble tax collector, and if you know anything about first century Israel and the tax collectors and how they had, were betraying their own people and working for the Roman government and making themselves rich, you know, they, they were working for the Roman occupiers who, had, who were governing the, the land that God gave Israel. They, they, were, they had taken it by conquest, and they were ruling it. And these Jewish tax collectors were betraying their own people and were working for, their, for, the, for the occupying force and making themselves rich off of 
their own people. It would be the equivalent of Al-Qaeda or the Taliban invading the United States and taking over the country and then Americans agreeing to work for them and collect taxes for them to pay our occupiers and then at the same time on top of that charge more taxes than they required in keeping whatever extra they charged for themselves. That's what these tax collectors did. So they were the most hated of the hated among their own people because they were betraying their own people and making themselves rich and living great lifestyles off of their own people who were obligated by the government to pay whatever these tax collectors charged, even if it was above and beyond what they, what the government itself wanted. And then these tax collectors would make themselves rich off of this. So that's the context here, the cultural context here. And so Jesus says this self-righteous Pharisee, this religious person who most people would look at and go, wow, what a godly person he is. But Jesus said that person prayed to himself. He was so self-righteous because he thought he had it all together. Meanwhile, that person did not go away upright and in right standing with God. But this humble tax collector, this humble person who had been a tax collector, recognized what an evil sinner he was. So he came before God with the right heart and with the right attitude because he recognized what an evil sinner he was. What an especially wicked sinner he was. And because he approached God with that right attitude, that tax collector that this society would have said was without hope and without God, Jesus said that person with that attitude, regardless of how evil he had been, that humble person who came before God with that right attitude, recognizing what an evil sinner they had been, went away righteous. While this self-righteous Pharisee who prayed to himself while making a show of talking to God did not leave in right standing with God. So just because this person was a tither, did not that, that tithing that he did did not make him right with God in and of itself because it was given with a heart that was not right. Meanwhile, this evil tax collector did have the right heart before God. And in Hebrews 7, 5, it tells us that under the old covenant, the descendants of Levi, who were charged with the priestly office, were commanded in the law to collect tithes from their fellow Israelites descended from Abraham. And though this is an example from the law, in actuality the practice of tithing predates the law, which means that it is still in effect today even though we are no longer under the law. I want to say that again. The whole point of this is talking about the tithing. First of all, just because if, if you tithe, that in and of itself doesn't make you righteous. And we saw at the beginning that Jesus taught that tithing is not the most important law or issue that there is. In the Mosaic law, it was not the most important thing. 
Jesus said in Matthew, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, he taught that the most important, in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, he said the most important law is to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the New Testament commandment. If you want to know, in the, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John, he said, you want to know what the new command is that we've been given? It's a new command, and yet it's not new. It's to love, because God is love. That is the commandment in the new covenant, is to love. It's to love God and to love others. That's the command. Jesus said that while tithing is not the most important commandment, nonetheless, it is still important. And that's why I say that even though the Levites, the, the tithes were given to the Levites under the Old Covenant, technically the practice of tithing predates the law in the Old Covenant. Even though we're no longer under the law, tithing predates that. An example of this can be found in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20 which Genesis is before the law of Moses was instituted. That wasn't instituted until the, until the Israelites were around Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. So Genesis predates the law of Moses by several centuries. And yet here in Genesis 14.20, we see that Abraham blessed, praised, and glorified God Most High who gave his enemies into his hand. And as a result, Abraham, or Abram as he was called at that time, gave a tenth of all the treasure he had taken into battle. That is the first instance of tithing in Scripture, is in Genesis 14.20, before the law of Moses, not after the law, or not during the law, but before it. That's why it extends beyond the law, because it came before it. Jerome H. Smith shows in the Ultimate Cross-Reference Treasury that tithing originated before the Law of Moses, thus being considered a pre-Mosaic institution. So if anybody tells you that tithing is no longer required anymore because we're not under the law, well, they're correct in saying we're not under the law, but they're incorrect in their understanding because tithing predates the law. Later, under Mosaic law, the obligation of the Jew in Israel involved the payment of several tithes, amounting to about one quarter of his income. But that was under the law of Moses. This particular thing here, with the one-tenth giving, that was before the law of Moses. The rest of that, the one quarter of the income, that was given as part of the law of Moses, but the tenth giving was given before. Under the law of Moses, it appears that the first tithe was paid for the support of the Levites. The second tithe was to be applied to festival purposes. Finally, the third tithe was established for the help of the poor. 
Now, scholars differ in their opinion on whether the third tithe was a substitute for the second tithe every third year, or whether it constituted a tithe in addition to the first two. Also, it's not clear whether the second and third tithes were based on one-tenth of the whole, or on one-tenth of what remained after the payment of the first tithe. But, I know that might sound a little bit confusing, but regardless... The point is, is that the the tithing on the on the the one tenth of your income, the first instance of tithing predated the law of Moses, and started back with Abraham in Genesis fourteen twenty, not in the law of Moses itself, and God made it clear again in Numbers eighteen twenty one, that under the old covenant under the Mosaic law. The Levites, God gave the Levites all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance to ret in return for their menial service of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting because it was their responsibility to take care of and care for the tabernacle and the tent of, and the tent of meeting in the wilderness. Thus one-tenth would be given and that those tithes would be given to them as a reward for their service of the tabernacle of the, or the tent of meeting. God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 29, that they should undoubtedly, undoubtedly tithe or give a tenth of all the yield of their seed produced by their fields each year. The Amplified Bible footnote on this verse says that the only exception to this was during a communal meal, which was part of worship directed by the priests. There they were told to eat the tithe of their grain, and their new wine, their oil, and the firstborn of their herds and flocks before the Lord God in the place he chose to establish his name and presence. This was done so that they would learn to always reverently fear and worship the Lord God, filled with awe and profound respect. If the place where the Lord God chose to set his name and presence was too great a distance for a person to carry their tithe because the Lord had blessed that person with such an abundance, then that person was to exchange their tithe for money. In other words, if the grains and the new wines and the oil, all that, if God had blessed a person so richly and abundantly that it was too much of a burden for them to carry it to the place where God had commanded it to be carried, then they were to exchange all of that, what, what would be tithed, they were to exchange it all for money. Then they were to bind, bind that money to their hand and go to the place of worship where the Lord chose. They could spend that money on whatever their soul desired or whatever their appetite craved. The Lord said this. <gasps> Why, that, that's sinful. Well, not according to God. said they, they could spend that money on whatever their soul desired or, or whatever their appetite great, craved, whether that be oxen, sheep, new wine, or other strong drink. <gasps> strong drink? Yeah. Then that person and their household were to eat there in the presence of the Lord God and rejoice. However, people were not to forsake or neglect God's ministers, the Levites, within their city gates, because they were given no share of land or inheritance among the people. 
Therefore, and this goes back to what I was talking about before, from the, from the Jerome Smith note, at the end of every third year, people were to bring out all the tithe of the increase for that year and store it within the city gates. This, was un, this part was under the law of Moses. Since the Levites, temporary residents, orphans, and widows within the city gates had no share of land or inheritance among the people, they were allowed to go, eat, and be satisfied. Then the Lord would bless Israel in all the work of their hands. As long as they were faithful and obedient to that commandment. But what about the new covenant? What about what, what do we see about giving and, the, and tithing under the new covenant? Well, we already saw what Jesus said about it in Matthew 23. He said, don't neglect the weightier, the more important moral and spiritual obligations of justice, mercy, faithfulness, all that. But, you know, righteousness, don't neglect those. And don't neglect the more minor matters, such as tithing, when you do those. So do it all. Do the more important things, justice, righteousness, mercy, faithfulness. And also, don't neglect tithing while you're doing those more important things. Yes, those other things are more important than tithing, but don't neglect tithing just because you, I want you to obey these other things also. And then the Apostle Paul points out in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. In those passages, the Apostle Paul writes that the Levites who were employed to officiate in the sacred services of the temple got their food and ate from the temple offerings of meat and bread. He's referring back to the Old Testament, saying that the tithe was for the Levites, who were the priests of that day under the Old Covenant, who served in the, the tabernacle and later in the temple. And they got their food and ate from the offerings that were brought to the, to the temple. Likewise, those who regularly attended the altar had their share of the offerings brought to the altar. So, if you cared for the altar, if you, you know, if you were, if you basically, if you were part of that team of people who cared for the temple, the altar, all that, everybody benefited from what was brought to it. Under the new covenant, then, according to this passage in First Corinthians nine. The Lord directs that those who preach and publish the gospel should get their living from the gospel under this same principle. So the principle established in the Old Covenant that the Levites and the priests and those in charge of, of the worship and the work for God, because they didn't get any inheritance, any, tri, you know, any uh, tribal allotment of land among the people, among the Israelites, because they didn't get that. then they were to benefit from the offerings and the, the food offerings and all that and, and the money offerings that were brought to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and later the temple. Likewise, under the new covenant, following that same principle that was established in, in the old covenant, bringing that into the new covenant and how we apply it, 
It says that under the new covenant, the Lord directs that those who preach and publish the gospel should get their living from the gospel under the same principle. Therefore, it was established in early New Testament practice that on the first day of each week, which is Sunday, first day of the week is Sunday, the Sabbath, or the last day of the week, was from Friday evening to Saturday evening. In, in the Bible, a day begins in the evening, not in the morning. That's why in Genesis 1, if you remember the Genesis study that I did on... Um, on the book of Genesis and in this podcast and in my blog, if you remember back in the early, early chapters, one of the first podcasts or, or blog posts, whichever one it was that I did on Genesis chapter 1, I talked about how it says over and over again, and evening and morning was the first day, and evening and morning was the second day, evening and morning was the third day, so on and so forth. In God's reckoning of time, a day begins in evening, not in the morning. So it began. It, it began. It went. A day went from sundown to sundown. And the last day of the week, the seventh day on which God rested, and declared it a day of rest, was the Sabbath. That was the seventh day, and that would go from Friday evening to Saturday evening. From Friday sundown to Saturday sundown was the Sabbath. Well, under the new covenant. Early New Testament practice established that on the first day of each week, which was Sunday, which is why we typically meet on Sunday, each Christian would personally save something and put it aside in proportion to what the Lord gave them, and then that would be collected on the first day of the week or Sunday. Now that's not you know that's not to say that you have to worship on Sunday or you're disobeying God. I'm saying that was part of early New Testament practice. The point is, is that when they met together, the money for the church was collected. And, you know, and the money in this case, the Apostle Paul would be collecting it or whatever. And that's what he because he was preaching and publishing the gospel, preaching verbally, and then he wrote all these letters. About half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. So he was preaching and publishing the gospel, and therefore he lived off of the tithes and offerings given by the people of their own free will. That's how he would... His ministry was funded. That's what he lived on. Now, going back to the Old Testament real fast, a rebellious nation of Israel, sometime between 450 and 400 B.C., when the book of Malachi was written, they asked God in Matthew, uh, excuse me, not Matthew, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, they asked, will a man rob, will a man rob or defraud God? And God answered, you are robbing and defrauding me. So they were like, yeah. Uh, basically, they were saying, how could a man rob or defraud God? I mean, you're God, right? How, how could we possibly rob you? And then God says, oh, but you are robbing me. You are defrauding me. And so then Israel says, well, in what way have we robbed or defrauded you? And God says, you have withheld your tithes and offerings. 
Therefore, this whole nation is cursed because it is robbing me. Then he commanded them once again to bring all the tithes, which is the whole tenth of their incomes, that's what a tithe is, the whole tenth of their incomes, into the storehouse, so that there may be food in God's house to support the priests and their families. And the Amplified Bible notes that special storehouses were established in the temple to receive, to receive the tithes of the harvest in ancient times. If the people were not faithful, the priests could not continue to serve and perform their duties. So how we apply this in our New Testament context, much the same way. If the people who preach and publish the gospel are not provided for through the gifts of those who are blessed by them and those who receive the gospel preaching and teaching and the help and whatever, then they cannot continue their work. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16 and Matthew chapter 4 verse 7 uh, when Jesus quoted this, they bo both of those verses warn, warn us not to test the Lord our God. The only exception anywhere in the Bible to this command not to test God is in Malachi chapter 3 verses 10 through 12. It's the only place in the Bible where God provides an exception to the rule not to test him. And in Malachi 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, God says to try him in this, meaning the giving of the tithes and offerings. He says, try me in this. And he says, he said, it says, God says to try him in this and see if he will not open the windows of heaven and pour out so great a blessing until there is no more room to receive it. In return for faithfulness in this area, God promised protection for the harvest that would come by rebuking the devourer. And God said that all nations would call the people happy and blessed because theirs would be a land of delight upon fulfilling his command. In closing, God made a similar promise in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. In Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, he said to honor him with sufficiency, capital, and wealth of righteous labors. So the, so the sufficiency, the capital, and the wealth that, one, that a person gets from their righteous labors and the first fruits of all their income. That doesn't, that means you give God what's first and not what's left. He says to honor him with that so that a person's storage places would be abundantly filled and their wine vats would overflow. That's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Now, I must confess that there has been much time where I haven't been faithful to these commands. Just being very open with you, I have not been very faithful to these commands for most of my walk with God. And I, I think that shows, unfortunately. As a result, I've not experienced some of the promises associated with this. And I pray that the Lord would help me 
to be more faithful going forward, especially as I know there could be much need in the days ahead. And that's not just referring to me personally, but I think there could be much need in the days ahead in the days ahead for the nation and for the world as a whole. I don't know if you noticed or not, but if you look around this world and how it's being governed is in quite the downward spiral. And that's not just in foreign policy, it's in economic policy. It's in a lot of social policy, though there are some good exceptions to that. Um, in general, we're all trending in the wrong direction, it feels like, as, a, as governing bodies in the world. And I feel like there could be some rough times ahead. But that doesn't mean we have, just because there are rough times ahead doesn't mean we have to participate in them. We must remember that ultimately it's God who is the provider. How he chooses to bring about that blessing is up to him. In my life, whether it's through a person, whether it's through um, some other means, regardless of where that comes from. For you, um, the income that you get from your job or from investments or however you receive your income, ultimately God is the provider. Now there are, you know, whether it's through a job or whether it's through the kindness of others, whether it's through investments or however you get your money, um, those are channels that God can use to be a blessing to you. But we must remember that God is the ultimate source. And when we see God as the source, and we keep that in the forefront of our mind, then that helps us to stay focused, not only on what's most important, but it helps us to see truly where our help comes from when we need it. We must never lose sight of him as the source. When we do, we set ourselves up for catastrophe. And that's mainly the primary message I wanted to get to you this evening, is that God is our source. Regardless of what you need, whether it's a health need, whether and I do have one of those, whether it's a financial need, I could very well need a lot of that. Uh, whether it is a whether it is um, a spiritual need, whether you need to be saved, whether you know someone else that needs to be saved, whether you know uh, whether you feel distant from God, or whether you're seeking God's wisdom on on the Lord or seeking His will, what should I do in this area? What would you have me do, Lord, in this way in this in this time? Um, who would you have me give to? What would you have me give in your name, Lord? Who would you have me bless in your name? Uh, would you have me take this job or not? Would you have me marry this person or not? Should I move to this place or not? Should I serve in this church or that one? Regardless, uh, whatever whatever your spiritual need, your physical need, your financial need, your marital relationship need, whatever that is, Always remember that God is your source. And that is the, the primary message that I want to get to you today. 
is that God is your source. There are certain things that he commands. He expects us to be givers, not only to him, but he expects us to be generous in our giving to others as well. And he expects us to be faithful in what he gives to us in return, not to squander what he gives to us. And that's a message that everyone, including myself, can't help to be reminded of because there's been plenty of times again where including even sometimes in the present where I feel like I could have been more faithful in this area and that's mainly why I'm talking about this right now is a you know I, I feel like this is something that the Lord wants me to be more careful about as well and so it's something I wanted to share with you so I ask that you would be in prayer for me, that any needs that I have with uh, some things coming up in the next several weeks and months, and also I want to take some time to pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you allowed me to be born in a country where I have the freedom to do a podcast like this where I can share your word and share a message that you have laid on my heart and I don't have to worry about whether somebody's waiting on the other side of my door waiting to come in and take me away and behead me or hang me or torture me or find my family and hurt them where it's legal still for now to have the freedom to proclaim your word and to be a blessing to others. And to bless you, Lord, as we lift your name and as we honor you with our time through Bible studies and through fellowship with each other and through listening to, and worshiping through song and listening to sermons at church and listening to podcasts like this that uplift your name and proclaim your word. And equip us to go forward and to live how you would want us to live. I thank you that I live in a country where I can do that. I ask that you would continue to leave that door open in this country, in the United States. Even though I feel like we don't deserve it. And we've squandered a lot of those opportunities. Our country has wandered and drifted so far from you. In what we've promoted, in what we've allowed, in what we've celebrated the sin that we have that we have perpetrated the sin throughout my life that i have perpetrated against you against you only as i have i sinned david said and i echo that god i have sinned against you i have allowed myself to partake in things that are not pleasing to you I have allowed things into my eye gate, in my ear gate, that are not pleasing to you. I have not cared for myself and my temple, always, as you would have me to do. And I ask your forgiveness, Lord. And I come before you, and I humbly ask for forgiveness for our nation, our country, in our world, all the nations of the world, and how they've drifted from you, 
and in this country how we've drifted from you. How we know, especially here in the United States, a country that was founded on your principles. No, we were not created as a theocracy, but we were, <coughs> excuse me, but we were created as a country that honored you, whose laws, while not a theocracy, were rooted in your moral standards and precepts. And for a long time, no, we haven't been perfect. We've never been perfect. But for a long time, we, for a good portion of our country's history, even when we failed, and at times failed miserably through the institutions of slavery, for example, nonetheless, the country as a whole had a heart for you and sought to please you. That's not to say, yes, imperfectly, and yes, a lot of people openly and willfully sinned against you and didn't care what your word had to say about certain moral issues like that and others. But for the most part, from the very beginning, our founders intended this to be a Christian nation, not a theocracy, but a Christian nation. As Ronald Reagan would put it, quoting from your word, a shining city on a hill for the rest of the world. That is what our founders intended this country to be. And we've drifted so far from that. We live so much, not us individually maybe, some of us are very faithful to you, and I thank you for the vocal minority here in America and around the world that are bold and unashamed and unafraid to proclaim the truth no matter what it may mean for them. But I pray and I ask for forgiveness and mercy. I ask for I ask, I pray in a repentance for our nation as a whole and the nations of the world that have drifted from you. And I ask for a revival to come. I ask that a spiritual wave that can only come from you, Lord God, to sweep this nation and this world, that they would seek you, Jesus, as the only way to the Father. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one on earth can come to the Father except through you. For there is no other name under heaven given among people whereby we must be saved other than your name, Lord Jesus. And you say in your word that if we confess with our mouth that you, Jesus, are Lord, if we confess that you are Lord, if we confess that you are our master, and we believe in our heart that your Father raised you from the dead, Jesus, if we confess that with our mouth and believe it in our heart, then you say we will be saved. So finally, Lord, I pray for those people who don't know you or who aren't sure, who aren't confident, about where they stand with you spiritually. I pray that they would turn to you right now in repentance. I pray that they would confess their sins to you.
that they would repent and turn from them and that they would walk in a new way that you would make new creations out of them as you promised in 2 Corinthians 5.17. I pray that you would make new creations out of them. And that they would serve you. And I pray for myself that in any way where I have been disobedient to you or neglectful, in any way towards something that you would have me to do, that you would show me all the areas where that is the case and help me one at a time to overcome those that I can only do by your Spirit, Lord. I can't do it on my own, but with your Spirit living on the inside of me and depending on that, there's nothing I can't do. And there's nothing any of us can't do when we depend on your power and your Spirit to guide us, lead us, and empower us to live how you would want us to live. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ, to be a new creature in Christ. And that is what I pray for all of us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me today for the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. Again, if you would like to get in touch with me with thoughts, comments, objections, uh, compliments, uh, Anything that you want to ask or tell or whatever, you can reach out to me at wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. Again, that is wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. Thank you very much for joining me today, and I so look forward to being with you again tomorrow. God bless, and bye for now.